Vaccine Watch on Ireland's Classic Hits. All right, let's get a bit of an update. Ruth has joined me in the studio. Uh, where are we going with the vaccines, Ruth? All I'm hearing is bad news. It's just not good news, is it really? I have a little bit of good news. Oh, okay. There's a, light, a there's, little bit. There's a green shoot in there somewhere, is there? So they t- Paul Reid told us that he wanted to get 150,000 vaccines done in a week by this week. And he managed it. That well, not he personally. The HSE managed to do 154,825 in the last seven days. Right, okay. So we're finally, we're getting bigger well, yeah, numbers. We're, yeah, but we're not going to reach the targets. I mean, they, they keep saying we're going to reach the targets. We're not going to reach the targets set for the end of June. Uh, by Michal Martin and Stephen well, Donnelly. Well, I think what the Taunashta actually said was a target is still a target and we're going to work for it. We're going to aim for the target. We, we might have to miss be realistic, it. don't we? We do have to be realistic, but it's still a target. It's what they're aiming for. If they lower it, then the supply might dwindle a okay. bit. I don't know. Okay, okay, what are we giving out? So, the first doses so, so far. First do- doses, we're on 904,774. So, nearly a million. Uh, second doses, we have 371,054. And then, so overall, that's 1,275,828. Okay, we should be we should be fast on that because I, I do remember two or three weeks ago here you telling us we'd reached the million mark. And we've only, we're only, you know, 300,000 past that at this stage. Meanwhile, in Britain, should they're flying along, they had 36 million or 37 million or something ridiculous. Well, we did have the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson delays. Unfortunately, that did hinder us a little bit there. Okay, how many of those, by the way, are, what, what different brands have been given out so far? Or what, what's the numbers there? So we still only have Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna. So Pfizer, we have 958,856 administered. So they are flying ahead. Whereas AstraZeneca, there's only been 261,342. Mm-hmm. And the Moderna, for some reason, we only have 55,630. Okay, so the, and the AstraZeneca is still the same criteria. You still have to be over... Over 60. Over 60 years of age. All right. Uh, the daily average so far? Is, for the last seven days, it's been 22,000 a day, just over 22,000. Yeah, that's not good. Because when we were at 80,000, 90,000 a week, he was saying, oh, we're going to ramp it up now. I mean, we should be able to do 200,000 a day or a week. We should, and we will get there, but it's all about the supply. We don't have the supply. Well, what happened to his team and his, that he was going to negotiate? He said he was going to send <laughs> it, put a committee together to try and negotiate privately, obviously, outside of the EU. What happened that? Is that all pie in the sky? They seem to have... Um, Vanished. Yeah, to put it I nicely. I mean, it's been five months nearly. It has. And, and, you know, and everybody knew that the EU supply wasn't good enough, and we're still doddering around. We still haven't got them. I know that's not your fault. We've I know. It to you. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't help that AstraZeneca, we were supposed to get... Was it 45,000 doses before the 30th of April? And that suddenly dropped to 9,000. Right, okay. So we, there's nothing, to be fair to the government, there's nothing they can do if the companies are just like, yeah, sorry, they're not arriving. Okay, so what age groups now can register online? Because, of course, they opened up the portal. We talked about this last week. You can go online now to the web portal and, you know, and apply, essentially, for your appointment to get your, your vaccine. What age groups are they looking for? So, over 65s, the portal is still open to anyone over 65 who hasn't been vaccinated. But it opens today for, or for the next week, I should say, for 60 to 64-year-olds. So, today, if you are 64, you can apply. Tomorrow for 63, Sunday for 62, Monday for 61, and Tuesday for 60-year-olds. I'm assuming, is that going to continue then? Will Wednesday be 59-year-olds? I think there'll be a week gap. Uh, I think. I'm 58. Yeah. In September. In the next two weeks, you should be able to apply. If they're going by their current... (laughs) I told you, if I'm going to be holidays, they can stick it in me eye. People, of course, <laughs> register for the vaccine. Where where can they, if they want to go on to, you know, obviously register for the vaccine, where do they go? So it's on the HSE website. It's called Vaccine Vaccine Live, I think. Um, and if they can't get online for whatever reason, you can call HSE Live on 1850 24 1 
18, or, oh, sorry, 1850-24-1850. All right, so that particular phone number, we did have people text in and, and emailed us when you gave out the phone number last week saying they couldn't get through. Is there a delay getting through? Is it a long delay getting through? Is there problems with that number? I don't know how long the delay is, but there's only a certain amount of people answering the phones. So right. if everybody rings at the same time, Obviously, you're going to be put on hold for much longer. And otherwise, when we announce the phone number, suddenly a lot of people start ringing it. Is yeah, so about? maybe give it a couple hours. All right, okay. So, and, and with you, you have to have your PPS number, your air code, your mobile phone number, and your email address. That's, yes. that's the information you will need to hand if you want to register. Yes. So just to remind people again, if you want to go onto the portal, as in from today, if you're 64, you can. From tomorrow, 63. From Sunday, 62. From Monday, 61. And age 60 from Tuesday onwards. Yes. All right. And right. if you're over 65, any time in the next... Whenever. By the way, any any move forward on, of course, what Leo Varadkar said, that if you don't want the AstraZeneca, you have to go to the back of the queue. Now, I know he has been berated for saying that because essentially, you know, blackmailing people, go and get it now or you're going to the end of the queue. Is there any possibility? Because people are cautious about vaccines and I understand cautious. Understandably, especially yeah. when you're reading all of the oh, horror the story. stories. The yeah, horror of course, stories. Of course. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm not discouraging people from getting it. You should get it. But there are people out there who have a cautiousness. They're not anti-vaxxers. No. Just, I mean, can they turn around now? Is there a point where they can turn around and say, listen, I'd rather get the Pfizer? No, unfortunately not. It, the what we're still hearing is you will still be put to the end of the queue if you turn in the vaccine you're offered. I think that's awful. I think that's a terrible way to treat citizens, particularly when it comes to people's health, particularly older people when it comes to their health. And in relation to the Johnson & Johnson, finally, um, of course, that has been held up as well because of the link between that and blood clots as well. Where are we going with that now? Are they going to come in? So we were supposed to get a decision today. It's been postponed until next week. So sometime next week we should find out. They were meant to be in the country by now, weren't they? They were meant to be in by last Friday. Yeah. We were supposed to... Last Friday, Friday, four, last Friday, they were yeah. supposed to arrive. Um, there was meant to be a decision made by today. Hasn't been made. So it'll be next week we find out what they're doing with it. Great old country for putting things on the long finger. Listen, <laughs> thanks very much indeed. And joining me from Ain2 is Padder Tobin. Padder, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Yes, we're a great little country for putting things on the long finger, aren't we, Padder? Well, I tell you, there's, there is an inbuilt inertia <clears throat> within the administration of this country with regards to making decisions. Um, um, the, both the government and the <clears throat> the upper echelons of the civil service don't like making decisions. Uh, and you can see that with regards to the rapid uh, antigen testing. Mm-hmm. That question has been put forward, you know, over the last year. Companies, uh, civil society and other countries have just gone and done it. <clears throat> but this country hasn't uh, yeah. been able to make a decision in over a Gosh, year. They're lashing them out in the UK. I know Boris is telling private companies to come and collect them. He'll give out as many as you want, you know, just to have them, you know, in your company. If if somebody gets goes down with it and you want to other staff to test themselves, there's no harm. I mean, it can't do any harm. To, to, this to, is it. And yeah. actually, you know, regular uh, testing uh, adds up to a, a greater probability and a greater understanding of uh, whether or not a person has the infection or not. Uh, it, it's the same with even the spacing out of the interval of the doses uh, of vaccines. Other countries just did it, and this country has been hemming and hawing around it uh, for the last period. Of, yeah, uh, to get more people with a first dose to get some level of immunity, even though it may not be the full level of immunity, at least you'll have some level of immunity. Absolutely. Uh, in relation to, I, I spoke there to Ruth a few minutes ago, who's given, all this, given us all the lowdown on what we have done and what we haven't mm. done in relation to vaccines. I mean, Stephen Donnelly mentioned going back a couple of months ago, he was putting together a subcommittee to go and uh, source privately uh, vaccines because obviously the EU supply wasn't enough. Well, where, where are we at now with that? I still haven't. I mean, it's, we're nearly five months in now and we're still depending on the EU and this bad supply that we're getting. So where are we? Yeah, so I suppose that this government has had, you know, is a, a very deferential to the European Union. <clears throat> so in other words, 
uh, all the decisions of the ECDC, all the decisions of the European Union, it has pretty much followed uh, to a T. Remember, health is meant to be the competency of the nation state, and the responsibility of any, any government is to protect the citizens' health. Uh, and yet, in this situation, um, the government has outsourced the decisions uh, to the EU. Now, I put in a parliamentary question in March to ask Stephen Donnelly what efforts had he made with regards to procurement in addition to the European supply chain. And he says none at that point. So obviously they came on the fierce stick at the time, um, and it looks like you know uh, some actions were taken, but we have no evidence as a re- uh, with regards to any results with those actions. Is he fit? Uh, I mean, Paddy, with the greatest respect, is he fit for the job? Well, to be honest, you know, uh, eyebrows have been raised even by people who would have been previous supporters of Stephen Donnelly with regards to this, and, and you know, last week was a perfect example. So. In March, we had a, the government was saying, Stephen Donnelly was saying that the scientific evidence states that a person should have a vaccine on the priority of their risk. So if they're ill or they, have, they work in an environment where they're you know, in, 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 you know, in circulation with many people in close contact, you know, they should have the, um, the, 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 the vaccine. Then he flipped to age base because he oh, didn't well, have... He, well, he brought out this comment last week that we should be vaccinating under 30. Under I mean, 30. So, James. again, an, another flip in that scenario. So, even government ministers are raising eyebrows to the, his fitness to practice. But it just... I, I mean, when, just, when I, if I go back, for example, to Simon Harris, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't a huge fan of some of the decisions he made either, but in saying that, he was a likeable person uh, and he seemed to, you know, get on well, particularly with the younger people. They seem to like him and I know he's doing the TikTok videos and all that kind of carry on. And by the way, it's important that a public representative, um, you know, is likeable um, because people have more faith in them and more confidence in them. But all I see on Stephen Donnelly's timelines and Twitter and everything else, I mean, there's quite a lot of, you know, abuse going on there. People don't seem to have faith in him as a, as a Minister for Health. But even take the issue of January where, you know, the country was uh, suffering significantly from uh, deaths as a result of COVID. Uh, when you know the, the nursing homes, especially, were in were were a, a phenomenal crisis. You know the fact that Stephen Donnelly was onto his his chief of staff and his department about how many times his name was mentioned in the department's tweets. You know, that kind of stuff is obviously going to alienate radically. People, but he pretends uh, when he's asked those questions in RT, he pretends he knows nothing about it. Just like yeah. when, when he was asked on primetime before Christmas, um, you know, about a particular article that had been in the paper that morning in relation to Leo Varadkar, and he said he hadn't read it. Now, this was that night, and he still alleged that he hadn't read it. He seems to just, he seems to believe that nobody will question him on anything. It is, there's, there's definitely a, um, a, a separation between uh, Stephen Donnelly's understanding of the world and the, the world's understanding of him. There's no doubt about it. One of the things that frustrated me yesterday... I, well, I, I that's that's the most interesting line I've heard. That's the most interesting <laughs> way I've heard it explained in a long time. Well, there, there is a chasm there. Um, but I did get to question him on the floor of the Dole yesterday. And, and one of the things that was, is wrecking my head is the fact that uh, right now there are people who are over the age of 85 who have still not received their first vaccination in the state. That's horrendous. Who wanted? That's horrendous. Who wanted? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, uh, like, and what's the reason behind that? Again, the the minister wouldn't give me a reason. Now, I've I've done research in this, uh, and for me, the the reason seems to be that there's no central database. So we don't have a central database of patients. So the government doesn't really know who's meant to be getting it and who's not meant to be getting it. It's relying on GP lists and con- uh, consultants lists. But there are times where some of these individuals are falling through the cracks of both of those lists and getting missed. So we know of people who have terminal illnesses who are going to the doctors, 
looking for the vaccine. The doctor says, oh, no, you need to go to your consultant. And then they go back and the consultant says, oh, no, no, you need to go to your doctor. So we have that messing around. I mean, I I heard the best one there about two weeks ago. When I say the best one, a horrendous story of a woman in Cork, I think she was. And she has a son who was in his 20s who has a myriad of underlying conditions. Um, And he... Um, wasn't allowed to, he hasn't left his house since last March because obviously his underlying conditions are quite serious. She'd been applying for him to get a vaccine um, in her own locality with her own GP. The GP says, no, I can't, can't do that. Sorry, he doesn't, he's not the criteria. Da, da, da. Eventually, she gets a call from the Matter Hospital in Dublin to come to Dublin for a vaccine. The chap hasn't left his house since last March because of that very reason. So she had to get him on public transport and bring him all the way to Dublin to get a vaccine. I mean, this, that's, it, this is it, this is, it, is, it, is incredible. it is incredible. And we, we sell ourselves internationally as being this tech island. And yet you go into the, the, the HSC, any one of us, if we have a long-term illness, they'll take out a, a big physical folder, they'll start writing notes into it, and then they'll send it back to a repository. Someone will walk back for 20 minutes to, to lodge it into some repository. If you're changing hospitals or doctors, they'll send a taxi. Uh, the, the document in a taxi so that the, the next doctor can have a look at it rather than having a central digital database where everybody uh, has their, their, their medical notes on it and you know obviously the information can be shared far more efficiently. I, I, absolutely, it's not rocket science really, no. is it? No, it isn't. I know, I know the data commissioner may have issues with different departments sharing information, but I think when it comes to health I believe all that stuff should go out the window, particularly at a time like this. But but getting back to, I suppose, the way we're handling this, I mean all this is delaying the lifting of restrictions. We're now looking at people in Belfast this morning out enjoying the hairdressers and the barbers and um, one-to-one close contact and beauticians and therapies and all that all open. Next week their non-essential retail is open. They're already booked you know the older people booking the buses out for the day out in the shopping centre meanwhile Paddy is sitting there watching on uh, in misery well you look at it yesterday we reached the milestone that we should have reached on the 31st of March so yesterday we had um, the, 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 the objective number that Stephen Donnelly indicated uh, about a month and a half ago we reached it three weeks later um, and, and another figure which is startling on the first of this month 5,000 people in the nursing homes, and this is the epicenter, ground zero of this crisis, had not received their second dose. Now, these people, the over 85s and the uh, people uh, who are in nursing homes, these people are the people who really need these. Oh, the people who are in their 30s, you know, there's very little need on a personal Abs- basis. Abs- uh, there's no need whatsoever. I already spoke to Professor John Lee about that, Jesse. There's actually no need whatsoever. Like the, the, yeah. the only the that only logic important. you know for the vaccine at that age group is if you want to create an increased herd immunity which Absolutely. allows the yeah. illness to circulate less. Well, I think but, Professor John Lee put it yesterday. He would much prefer to see a young person under the age of thirty getting the virus than getting the vaccine. He said it would give them better protection throughout their life. Yeah. But so, I mean, that's a whole other scientific question. But but I, I I'm stuck for a bit of time, Patter. Sure. Again, we're we're talking about lockdowns, restrictions. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. We keep hearing, uh, you know, sometime in June, maybe we'll get some level of normality back here again. But we don't even know when. We don't have dates. Now, I know they're making no. an announcement next week, but it's almost like we're making an announcement about the decision where we're making an announcement about an announcement. And it's just getting ridiculous. And this comes down to Stephen Donnelly and Michal Martin. That's where the book stops. Forget about Leo. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth anyway, pretend to be the people's friend. Um, so, realistically, are these people fit for the job? I mean, I, I mean, Patter... In a nutshell, do you believe that Stephen Donnelly should be the Minister of Health in this country? Is he fit for the job? Yes or no? I don't have confidence in him to do the job. Absolutely not. Uh, when I raised 
and I raised it in, in my speech yesterday, that we need to accelerate the reopening of this country. And, you know, other TDs from the government benches basically stated that, oh, what about December? What about January? And, you know, this is not December. It's not January. You know, there's 1.3 million doses of the vaccine out there already. And, and most of those have gone into the cohorts, which are most vulnerable. So, you know, there's a, there's a fear to make a decision. And what about me, Hall Martin? I see Boris Johnson on the telly every evening now, you know, telling the people how great things are and how quickly we're going to get out of this and there'll be no going back and I'm going to be sipping me pint next week or tomorrow mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I mean, we don't see Hall until there's an announcement every two, every month or so. We rarely see him. But like, to be honest, I wouldn't actually just limit this to Hall Martin or Leo Varadkar or Stephen Donnelly. I would also include the fact that according to the SOC Dems, according to people before profit and solidarity and the Labour Party, that those, the, those adherents of zero COVID, they're saying don't open up until you get to less than 10 cases a day. That's just never going to happen. Like it's, 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 but it's that's an incredible thing. That, and, and that's one of the problems in this country. And that's, you know, there's but, a that, group, but that's where the mandatory hotel quarantine came from, is these, the zero COVID people with this fantasy that we can get to zero COVID. There's, there's a group think in this country, in, especially at the elites in the political bubble uh, in this country, where people are, are not allowed to ask questions. If they ask questions, they're pigeonholed as being, you know, uh, uh, you know some kind of, you know, Conspiracy terrorist or nutcase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what we need in this country is actually the competition of ideas. And well, you, heard, pro- you heard the reaction from the, the coroner from the clinic in Mayo uh, who said that he believed Neffet's figures were inaccurate and he talked about comorbidities and death yeah. and, you know, and suggested that the figure of 4,000 was greatly exaggerated with COVID deaths. When this was brought up in Neffet, Neffet's answer to that was, oh, we don't know who he is. Who is he again? You know, like, you know what I mean? They just dismiss and disregard anybody who has a polar opposite view. We raised this this issue at the very start. And, and, and actually, if you look at the BBC reporting of this, BBC will say a certain number of people have died uh, within 28 days, days of receiving of, a positive receiving. test. So at least they... Whereas they, our media, and I'm looking at some of our online media, one in particular, who I'm not going to mention on the air, who seem to be extremely liberal in their views in relation to this, are talking about constantly so many people died from COVID-19. When in fact, that's a factually incorrect statement. Uh, well, and by the way, I'm not disregarding the fact that people have died from COVID-19, and of course they have. No, it's, it, it, it is a real illness, and it has yeah. affected people. And, and one of the issues I brought up uh, is that a lot of people who have died actually went into hospital on a non-COVID issue called COVID in hospital and ended up passing away. And this week, I got a parliamentary question back from the minister saying that there's actually a family now suing, suing the state, the state that, as, as a result of this. And, you know, given the fact that we all probably know a number of people who've had this experience, I imagine that the state could actually be on the, on, on the hook for uh, a number of these cases, given two reasons. Like, I have no doubt that the hospitals, in most cases, did the best they could to keep the illness out. But there's two problems. One, in many cases, uh, hospitals were radically understaffed when they really needed that staff. Now, remember, they, Simon Harris created the Beyond Call for Ireland. 74,000 people signed up to it. This time last year, only 54 of those people were actually employed uh, by it. Um, hospital staff at that time were looking, crying out for PPE and working getting it. And there were some occasions where I know of where uh, uh, patients with COVID were being brought in and put into wards of non-COVID uh, patients. So where there was actually negligence uh, in, in play as well. So this is going to play out over the, over the next number of okay. months and years, there's no doubt. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Padre uh, Tobin. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank uh, you. There you go, Padre Tobin from Into. Um, just to mention as well, 
Um, a lot of people are texting in when they're going to get the vaccine. What Repeat what Ruth said there. Ruth said ages between 60 and 64 would be able to register online for the COVID-19 vaccination starting from today is 64 years of age, 63 from tomorrow, 62 from Sunday, 61 from Monday, 60 from Tuesday, and so on and so on. Well, I don't think it'll be so on and so on. I don't think it'll be 59 from Thursday. I think you might have to wait a week for that as well. All right. Vaccine Watch on Ireland's Classic Hits.